Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Rusty Quill presents Nighthead had me yearning for the comforts of New Victoria. (laughs) It's hard to believe I just said that, but the infamous City of Pitch was nothing less than a tumor of darkness, growing and infecting the world around it with each passing night, which admittedly didn't set it that far apart from my hometown, but at least in New Victoria I had some idea as to what I was dealing with. Better the devil you know than the one you don't, I think the saying goes. Whatever was living beneath Nighthead was markedly different from the horrors under New Victoria, nearly alien by comparison. And while I could move into whatever passed for dreams in the nocturnal city, I was nearly powerless in them. Yet, while that fact was seemingly incontrovertible, I had proven capable of sleep-reading individual citizens of the place, before their dreams joined into the collective dream of unending darkness I'd stumbled into. After we listened to the last of the Discovery audio, it was nearly midnight, and almost every inch of the street below our windows was covered in throning black-clad masses. Lanterns swung from the tall posts scattered around the commons, swinging in the midnight breeze and revealing the thousands of fanatics, maniacs, and academics who had come to hear in the midnight lecture. Might be a good idea if we head down, so I can move around the crowd, get a better bead on things here. You sure that's a good idea? After what happened earlier? I got caught off guard last time. It won't happen again. Besides, don't you want to learn about why we're all fools for doing business during the day? 
I'm sure it'll be a hoot. Isaiah smirked and withdrew his briefcase from beneath the bed. I could still feel the cold coming from it. Ready when you are. The crowds outside the hotel were thick as molasses, though unnervingly quiet for so large a gathering. The relative silence only exacerbated my sense of being watched. Multitudes of gawkers standing mute, attentive to my every move. I shook off my paranoia as best I could and tried reading the crowd. Cobbling the right kind of dream required I summon a vision into my mind, somewhere between a daydream and a hallucination, and then fill it with various images of my choosing. If the images in other people's heads matched mine, I could sort of absorb them into my dream, get a peek at what they got up to in their sleep. Coming up mostly empty, I added various features to the dream. Strangers moving about at night, odd noises in the dark, monsters dressed in vintage diving suits. Still, the dream I'd fashioned was a sort of cob job, so I decided to hone in on what I could discern as locals, so as to weed out any unhelpful foreign imagery. The Noxites were principally from Nighthead, as the founding Order of Umbrail, the Angel of Restless Shadows, was located here. Dressed in their jetty umbrixes, they were easy to spot, but trying to navigate the crowd wasn't easy. The Lovers of Darkness pushed back as I moved through their ranks. There were even a few elbows thrown my way. Apparently, there's no overlap between favoring the dark and politeness. My brother moved in front of me to play blocker, but my progress was still slow going. I decided to get more specific, conjuring the image of the eel child, hoping the new primer might dislodge something from the crowd. Before I tried the new image, a voice crackled through the air. What is darkness, if not a blank canvas? It forces nothing upon us while allowing us to make whatever we'd like from it. Unlike the animals, for which the world is forcibly imposed, we are given a choice. We may sculpt it from the void, out of the clay of darkness, the richest soil, the most fertile. You see, eyes are merely a provisional step in our evolution towards godhood. In time, eyes will be replaced entirely by the mind, which does not look upon the world, but imposes itself upon it. And when our time has ripened, the darkness will give way to a new world, our world, and we will leave behind the dull light of a dead star as masters of our own destiny. Scrim wasted no time launching into the thick of his dissertation, brandishing dark visions for all to see. The crowd was mesmerized, seized by the scruff, but the blazing bullcrap also had the effect of unifying the crowd's thoughts, blocking out whatever bits of dream that might be haunting their recollection. I gave it one last try, concentrating upon the image of the eel child. Then words, if not images, oozed into the dream. We have returned from the darkness 
with purpose. The way back to bring about a new and everlasting darkness. We who wear the crowns of many heads. We who will make nations above as we have below the world. You have merely to hate the light and obey. The dream fragment of the alien voice came from the direction of the Professor Emeritus of Raveland University. And just as suddenly as I heard the strange words, the professor's eyes darted through the supplicant mobs and bore into my own. Risen from the sea of listeners, clad all in black cloaks and sporting demonic masks came several shapes, Scrim's bodyguards. They glided a straight line through the crowds, sharks hunting darkened waters. Isaiah saw them immediately, stepping in front of me and pointing to the nearest edge of the crowd. We were off and running, past the crowd and into the dark lanes that wrapped around Grimner Square like questing snakes. I was fleeter afoot than my brother, my gift making me light and lithe as we raced. I had to wait for him to catch up to me. By the time we zigged and zagged into the umpteenth alleyway, I had no idea if our pursuers were still close behind. Isaiah forced open a random door off the back street and pulled me into darkness. Quickly removing my contacts, I lit the surrounding spaces with my eyes. We were in an abandoned building, debris everywhere. Isaiah still hadn't drawn those guns of his, not that my hand was any closer to my Balak. I hated the idea of using it outside a dream, the terrible things it was capable of. I was capable of. Three floors of the building whizzed by as we tore up the stairs to the roof. I leapt to the adjacent rooftop effortlessly, almost gliding through the air. My brother needed a running start. After he forced the rooftop door, we were down into another abandoned building, full of darkness. Withdrawing into a random room on the second floor, we flattened against the wall and quieted our breathing. I was just about to whisper something to Isaiah when we heard a door smash open somewhere. Then silence. After about five minutes, it started to get cold, freezing even. And I thought I saw something pallid and snake-like curl through the hallway just outside our room. It was gigantic, the width and length of some prehistoric python. I looked over to Isaiah. He was already staring at me, his index finger held over his lips. I did as he cautioned. It came pouring out of a shadow right next to me, as if it weren't a shadow at all, but a huge hole. A monstrous, eyeless white eel, coils floating weightlessly through the air. Good God, its head. Just an endless mouth filled with infinite teeth. Another, and then another, squirmed out of the shadows around us. The room began to disappear into an alien darkness. Only the creatures remained visible. My hand was about to make a beeline for my Balak when Isaiah's eyes melted out of the void, 
becoming points of bottomless cold. It was a different kind of cold than the stuff that came before it, a dull, flat cold that seized the room. Slowly, that second layer of darkness drained away, relenting to the previous and traditional variety. The eel things began to squirm under my brother's gaze. Even I could feel it, and had I not been his sister, I got the distinct feeling it wouldn't have liked me much either. His power's disdain for anything that strove to change the world, upset its mindless balance, was palpable. But I could tell Isaiah was struggling. His power was weak at night. I somehow knew that, intuited it. Removing my hand from my blade, I snatched my lighter and freed a small finger of flame. You'd think I turned a blowtorch on the eyeless things. Their white skins immediately blackened at the touch of the tiny light, sending them squealing out of the room. Don't move. I'll take care of the rest. Was all Isaiah whispered, and then he was gone. I was finally back in my element, on the hunt, on my own terms. There was an exhilaration walking into the unknown with the intent to kill, knowing nothing was out of bounds. The pursuit was more like a place than a situation, a dark world I was allowed to visit on occasion, where everything was simultaneously free and infinitely expensive. But there was more at stake this time. My sister. Though I had a sneaking suspicion she was nowhere near defenseless. My impression at that point was she was more afraid of herself than whatever had been set loose on us. Here was the rub. The main difference between us. Maybe. I only wished I could let go. Lose myself. Even during the great darkness I was focused. Always in the driver's seat. Well, save for the parts of me that were beholden to ritual and obsession. But even they only forced me to tighten my grip work around the pieces that wouldn't obey. Times like these, stalking the shadows, waiting to kill or be killed, were the moments I was most outside my head, aware of possibility rather than inevitability. This was as close as I got to a dream. I'd never seen anything quite like the eel things before. All my monsters were human-shaped. Though the stuff they could do, the horrors they could get up to, were anything but human. I'd pulled back on my ability, not knowing if whatever was chasing us could feel the resistance. I could always sense it whenever my, uh, let's call it a field, contacted the otherworldly. It only made sense that the otherworldly could feel it too. The building was a maze of collapsed rooms and dead ends and open pits, but I'd been in worse spots. The light was my real problem. There was barely enough to navigate by. But luckily, Nighthead, while no fan of daylight, had more than its fair share of lanterns. Several of the things swung in the breeze across the street. It wasn't a lot of light, but it would have to do. Whether the Nightheaders liked it or not, eyes gotta have light. I didn't know if Scrim's guards were the eels, or if they controlled them, or what. But I was betting that both were allergic to bullets, especially the kind I used.
Somewhere around the first floor, a funny thing happened. My mouth filled with the taste of sugar. It was overwhelming. It was hard to focus on anything else. Which was why I missed the big black-gloved hand reaching out of the darkness. In under a second, I was upside down and flying into a wall. But I always knew how to take a shot. I was on my feet in an instant, just in time for both gloved hands to grab me, hoisting me off the ground. I popped my gift, hoping my attacker wasn't entirely human. Huh, funny the things you wish for. This time, whatever was grabbing me wasn't hefting me so easily. That's my gift, leveling the playing field. Scrim's guy wasn't used to getting scaled down. I dropped my briefcase while I was turning somersaults through the air, so my Beretta would have to do. Three suppressed rounds later, and I was back on my feet. But my target was nowhere in sight, stepping through shadow as if it were a doorway. My improvised gymnastics routine almost made me forget about the weird taste in my mouth which seemed to have only gotten stronger, sweeter. Briefcase back in hand, I stalked around the corner. I wanted to open it up, take them out, but I could only hold them so long before the pain was too much. Best to wait till I had a clear target. While the light was dim, I could still see there was a pink mist, of all things, wafting through the hallway in front of me. It seemed to be giving off its own light, faint though it was. I stayed clear of it in case it was some kind of poisonous gas. Just being in sight of the stuff made the saccharine taste in my mouth almost nauseating. But it was the strange liquid splattered across the floor that drew most of my attention. It was sort of grayish, streaked with what looked like blood, and it led away into the same darkened hallway as the pink mist. Once the stuff finally dissipated, I followed the blood trail, if that's what it was. Along the way, I began to hear a fight. Thumping and crashing and grunting. Creeping up to the room where the sounds were coming from, I peeked in. Scrim's muscle were fighting a losing battle against the eel monstrosities. The guards were getting torn to pieces. Their shredded and exposed flesh, not entirely different than the eel's skin. And while the men still possessed eyes, they were remarkably small and black. The impression I had was that the guards and eel creatures were in different stages of the same grotesque transformation. Why they were doing battle with each other, I had no idea. Even while the guards howled in pain, massive chunks of them came away in the eel's terrible jaws, and the darkness around them seemed to ripple and splash as if waves in a storm-tossed sea. A small part of me wondered if I shouldn't put them out of their misery, but that only gained the monster's attention. No thanks. It was, after all, a dog-eat-dog -dog world. Or eel. Whichever. I was eager to head back and check on my sister. See if our eyeless attackers were a match for the eel in her dream. Who knew? Maybe things would start adding up. Retracing my path back to Romy, I caught a look at something standing at the far end of the hallway, lean and towering in the gloom. 
casting menace as surely as a shadow. I couldn't see any eyes, but I sure as hell could feel them, punching through me like daggers. Beyond the feeling of getting fish-eyed, it was just a shape in the dark. There was no reason for my reaction to feel so threatened, and my gift was more than capable of staving off manipulations of the mind. The moment stretched on longer than it should have, dread creeping in slow motion. I was about to test the thing against a hail of bullets when it vanished. I never even saw the thing move. It was simply gone, and my tongue felt like it had been used to scrub out a candy barrel. Not much time had passed since I had left my sister. I'd even added some hustle on the way back, compliments of the disappearing shape in the hallway. But Romy was gone, the window in the room wide open. The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. And the Sleep-Wake Cycle theme song was written and performed by Sean Zeller. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about the world of the sleep-wake cycle and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Meltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about the sleep-wake cycle and the larger world of Meltopia, head over to Meltopia.com.